Staff Sergeant Katie Ferencheck is a veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan, currently working as an Army Reservist. She also competed and won at the Arabian Sport Horse National Championships in North Carolina, representing the U.S. Army. Katie will discuss her time as a female in the U.S. Army and how she unexpectedly adopted two young girls that changed her entire life. everyone. Welcome back to Lady Empire. I have such a great guest here with me today. Katie, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for the invitation. So I want to just start off with you telling us a little bit about your childhood and your upbringing and if this affected your career path at all. For sure. So, I mean, I think it would be difficult to say no for most people probably, right? And our childhood is where we really um, develop quite a bit. So I came from a very large family. I have six brothers and sisters and my dad was in radio. And uh, so we moved around a lot. Actually, it's very similar to being in the military where they move from market to market rather than from base to base. (laughs) But, uh, um, you know, I learned from my parents that uh, work ethic is everything. You you show up, you show up on time, um, you know, and you do your absolute best until the work is done, no matter how long it takes. Um, my mom was real big believer in you can achieve anything that you put your mind to. And that really has made a huge difference in my life because I think as long as I keep my focus on something, I know I can make it. The hard part for me is keeping my focus on something because <laughs> I'm so good. I, I'm so interested in many, many different things. Um, you know, I, I will say though, that, that we did, we, I graduated high school when I was 16 early. Uh, and it was, it was really due to a, a big family event that happened, a a really kind of a terrible event that happened in our family. And um, unfortunately, kind of threw everything into a bit of chaos. And at that point, I, I, I went ahead and graduated early and then I moved out and um, I was living on a little racehorse farm, uh, help, uh, working with the owner, uh, breaking babies and working with the mares and, and uh, falling out, you know, every year is so much fun. Um, but I, I kind of floundered a little bit and that's when I ended up joining the military about an, uh, a year later when I turned 17. So, but yeah, my family absolutely you know, has come back together since then. And, and it really is a very large part of who I am and how I view the world. And, and family is extreme. So important to me that I have it tattooed on my arm. (laughs) So absolutely. That's amazing. So you mentioned earlier to me before our interview that you had just made it through your 20th year of being in the army and congratulations on that. That is so special and something to be very proud of. So I want to dive into your career with the army. Um, and you told us a little bit about how, you know, you had a significant family event, um, that kind of made you join the army. So, I want to ask, how many tours have you experienced? Have you been involved in war? Kind of when did you join and give us a little timeline on that? 
Yeah, well, definitely. So 20 years ago, um, in April, uh, April 30th, I signed up, Uh, I was 17 years old, and my mom had to sign for me. Um, It was a big decision, one I do not regret. But of course, as you know, a few months later, we had 9-11 happen. Um, And so that, of course, changed the course of my military career, at least you know, leading up to that point, we hadn't been to war in, in quite a long time since the 90s or well, for the reservists anyway. So um, so it was it was something where, you know, it was very unexpected and it was a really big deal. And of course, I think I was, you know, just I mean, obviously, I was just a kid at the time. So when it all happened and so we ended up going, I got deployed in 2003. And uh, it was kind of a surreal time because obviously 9-11 had already happened and some time had passed. Um, And we, it was literally that phone call where they said, um, hey, I need you to gather all your stuff together and I need you to get down to the reserve center and be here by, you know, one o'clock or whatever it was like early afternoon. And okay, so, you know, this is not something that normally happens to get all your stuff together and go down there and they go, okay, well, guess what? The 10 of you, because there were 10 of us there at the time, the 10 of you are getting deployed and you're going into this other unit and you guys are going to be leaving in like a week. (laughs) It was crazy. So during that time was, there there was not a lot of um, uh, structure, I guess, right? And it's gotten better since then. And um, we were supposed to, they said they were going to be out there for six months. And we ended up being out there for close to a year and a half. And it was just, it was crazy, a really, really crazy time. So that was in Iraq uh, for the, for that initial invasion and everything that came afterward. And uh, I didn't go to war again until 2010 um, when we went to Afghanistan. And by that point, they, you know, we were 10 months in country. So from the time that you, because you have you have uh, training to begin with stateside, and then you go overseas, and then you come back and you have what's called the demobilization process, where you're kind of out processing and you know tying up loose ends, uh, and then going home, right? So, but what they've done is now it's ten months from start to finish, and I believe now, and I haven't gone back overseas since then, but I believe now it's ten months total, including training time. I could totally be wrong, but. Um, but it has gotten shorter and shorter, um, which is which is good because, well, for a number of reasons. But one of the things they used to do is you would leave for a couple of weeks on vacation. And this is an army thing. I don't know if Air Force or I, I doubt that the Air Force and Marines does it because they don't they never went for that period of time. Um, and it was just a huge, crazy like you you would lose people for a month because of the time that it took for them to actually get out of country <laughs> to begin with. So it was, it was not efficient. Um, uh, but, but I think things have changed a little bit now. Um, and then when I came back from Afghanistan, it was kind of interesting. Uh, I was asked by the mobilization group to stay on for an additional eight months uh, for additional tour to stay there and help. They were actually winding down operations at that mobilization site and um, they asked for my assistance because I had been working with them on getting our unit back home. And I guess they must have liked me, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but that was great. So, so that was my, I mean, third tour, but it was, it's not an overseas tour. It's a stateside tour. Wow. That's amazing. So tell us a little bit about the current role that you are in now and kind of what you're doing right now in the, in the army. 
Absolutely. This, I absolutely love what I do right now. I've had a crazy, like I said, non-traditional career. Uh, I started as a truck driver and then I ended up being a, um, an electrician. But then of course, when I went overseas, they needed an admin person, HR type person. And that was my civilian background. So of course I jumped in and helped out. Um, and, and now I am a tech scout in the 75th Innovation Command. And what that means is I research new and emerging technologies specifically for future military use. Um, I am in the energy and materials portfolio. And so we review a lot of the energy and materials needs for the Army and then assess the technology that needs that come in uh, or the technology startups, you know, anything that comes in. But we also uh, help to um, bolster these these the ex tech search competitions or the cyber competitions um and so it's it's a pretty fun thing because then we get to do a lot of the prize competitions and see the latest and greatest and and uh, uh newest technology you would not believe the amazing stuff that comes out of these people's minds it's just absolutely incredible so it's been wonderful So I have also done a little bit of reading about you, and I saw that you are a former professional military dressage athlete, and you are also a national champion um, within the Army. So tell us a little bit about what that means and kind of what you did as an athlete within the Army. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. One of the most wonderful times in my career. Um, So I competed in dressage, which is a mil- was a military-only sport until the 1952 Olympics when the first woman uh, competed and the first civilian competed on behalf of the United States. So it actually has its roots in the military, right? So right around that time frame, 1946 to 48, the Army uh started to demechanize, right? So they got, or started to mechanize, excuse me, the opposite. They started to get tracked vehicles, et cetera. And they started getting rid of the cavalry, the mounted cavalry horses specifically. So that was a big part of the transition for it going into becoming a uh, civilian sport. So basically what happened was I... (laughs) of an interesting story. So I grew up riding Western. I have been around horses my entire life. Um, there was an event that happened. It was actually the largest uh, loss of civilian life on Camp Housie Madad in Afghanistan that we were at um, during that time. And it was crazy. It was not a good day. Um, and during that, while that was happening, I thought to myself, you know, if I make it out of here, <laughs> intact and scathed, then I'm going to go and do this because I had always heard about dressage and and I always heard that it was, you know, just like the classical method of how I had learned how to ride. And um, it was, it was one of those bucket list items. Like I'd like to just dip my toe in and see what it's like. And sure enough, made it home just fine and um, found a trainer as soon as I got home and I started riding in dressage and I loved it. And I just took to it. And that's when I found out, oh, hey, this as it's written military. I didn't know that until then. And oh, by the way, you can compete in your uniform. And so I did. And <laughs> I created the US Army dressage team by myself, like just did it, you know, and turned out people loved it. Um, the Army loved it as much, you know, I started working with a lot of the recruiters, which is great, because I, I 
basically I would get paid to go and compete. And then during uh, non-competition time, I would go out and I would talk to students in high schools with the recruiters. I would go do events with them and wear my military, my, my dressage uniform. So I'd have my helmet and my breeches and I would look totally different, you know? And, uh, and it was, it was great. I had so many great conversations with these high school students because I was there, right. I was that high school student, not sure, you know, what I was going to do with my life. And, I had somebody come into my uh, my classroom in uniform and I just thought that's cool. <laughs> you know, and so I it's it was pretty neat. It was a great way to to be able to give back to that um, you know. And so I with the dressage, I actually I ended up going and I lived in Las Vegas at the time. And I traveled between Las Vegas and California where my trainer was. I lived part-time with her and part-time with my husband <laughs> and uh, for quite a long time. And I trained, and then I went to England for a few months, uh, for three months. And I trained with the Moody sisters uh, up there, which was a phenomenal experience. And um, I just, I just really took to it. You know, I had a really great horse and just everything lined up really well. So um we got a national title. We did not get a national title in dressage. Unfortunately, that was a very, like, <laughs> so bad. Um, I ended up going into the Arabian sport horse world. And uh, we have the Scottsdale show here in Arizona, which is, it's the largest or oldest horse show in the state or country or something. I don't know. It's a pretty significant show. <laughs> and we won there and, and we got qualified for nationals. And so we went up to nationals and um, I won my class in, they call it sport horse show hacks. So they have like 20 people out there and are 20 people with their horses out there. It's crazy. It's hectic. Everyone's going different, you know, and around in the circles. And um, it was a very long class. And my horse was a champ. He, well, he was a champ. He was amazing. And I could not believe it when we won. It was just surreal. Um, unfortunately, dressage did not go our way. I screwed up royally. <laughs> what I did is uh, for the first time ever, and I still kick myself about this because I have no idea why I did this. But, you know, it's nationals. And I'm like, I'm going to put some hairspray in his mane, you know, keep his mane like down. Oh please don't do this. You know, obviously those of you who know horses are going to be like, yeah, you idiot. <laughs> yes. I was that idiot. Uh, we had a beautiful warm up, just spectacular. And I'm like, yes, we got this in the bag. Um, but he started sweat <laughs> and the hairspray started to itch. And by the time that it was our time to go in, he was completely devolved. Just get off of me. I just, he would not stand still. Like, I mean, he, the poor thing. And of course, as soon as we were done and I was so sad and dejected and like, you know, of course I didn't put two and two together at that point until I get off of him and get him untacked. And he, you know, I turned him out because I'm like, something's wrong with him. I know this horse inside and out. Something's wrong with him. I take him out and he starts rolling and rubbing his head. And I went, no, I totally screwed myself on that day. So that was a terrible lesson, but we did win the national championship with the other. And, and, and I really haven't competed since I, I, um, I ended up adopting a couple of young girls or family members unexpectedly. And they're my husband's grandchildren. Actually, he's, he's slightly older than me, not much 16 years. And, uh, so he, so he had kids young, of course they had kids young and unfortunately they had gotten involved in drugs, um, and decided that that was a little more important than having a, a family unit. So we ended up taking them into foster care. But during this time I had been in discussions with the 
Army World Class Athlete Program. Um, I would have been the first equestrian accepted into the program ever. Um, and it's basically what that program does is they, they put you on active duty and they help you attain training. So that way you can uh, compete at the highest levels of sport. And the idea is that you get to go and compete on behalf of the United States. I was also really working mostly towards being the first soldier to compete internationally since the 1950s because we haven't had anybody do that yet. Um, and during that time, my trainer was out in California, uh, Sabine Shukari. She's a, an amazing athlete. She's one of our current Olympians and just an incredible person. Because when I brought this up to her, she was like, yes, let's do it. You know, she's great. Um, but unfortunately what I found out was that during the foster care, um, they had nobody else, right? We were the only family that they had. And so if we didn't take them, they were going to go out into just generic foster care. And of course, at that time we thought, well, you know, their parents will do whatever it takes to get them, um, to get them back. Uh, so it'll be a short time, time frame, you know, so we put it off and three years later, here we are, <laughs> the girls are ours. We ended up adopting them um, two years ago, two, well, about a year and a half ago, now the official adoption date. And um, it, it, I ended up basically walking away from everything that I had built up to that point. So it was tough. It was really hard. But like I said, you know, family is the most important thing to me. And when it, when it comes down to the wire, that's what I chose. And I don't regret it. I, I really don't. It's not easy. Um, you know, but I, I believe that was the right, right choice to make. Wow. So you have covered so much during this already. <laughs> um, first off, you are so amazing to have done that and to have adopted um, his grandchildren, right? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's just so great of you to do. And just being an athlete of that caliber is so amazing. And for you to just make that huge sacrifice, I can't even imagine the position you were in, but I'm sure they are so thankful for you. Um, so I want to touch on that a little bit later in the interview, Sure. but I do want to ask um, a little bit about being a, a woman in the army and your experience mm -hmm. with that. So I want to know if you've experienced any sort of sexism while being a woman in the army. Well, I will say that our military, you know, as a military, we're a reflection of our community, right? We're a reflection of our country. And so anything that you see out in the country, you're going to see also in the military. Definitely. It, it is it is a very male-dominated world out there. Um, I will say that I think earlier on in my earlier on in my career, I think I probably experienced more of it. I don't, I'm not really exactly sure why that was. Um, but but what I'll say is that if you are somebody who my husband and I would talk about this all the time because he was active duty for 28 years. And so during this time, um, you know, he and I were very similar leadership styles. Um, you know, we're stickler for rules, we're detail oriented, um, but we're also, we like to have a good time. You know, we like to enjoy, we like to build a team and, and you know, and, and actually enjoy being with the people that, that you kind of forced to be with. So, um, but the thing is, is that when he would lay down the law and when I would lay down the law, even if it was the same situation, he was regarded as, oh, yes, of course, you know, he's a great leader, <laughs> where I was just a jerk, you know, and it's kind of, 
it's tough. It's really tough to be in that type of position because you have to choose the hard right over the easy wrong every time, right? That's like integrity, doing the right thing when nobody is watching, right? And and, and it was often hard, but I think for me, it had more to do, I think it had more to do with that I was a woman because my husband didn't struggle in these same ways. You know, he struggled in different ways and his was more of like power type struggles, but, but I, I didn't have that. It was just, it was just more reputational, you know, you're a jerk. And it was very frustrating to go through that sort of stuff, you know, and um, over time, like I said, it's gotten better. I think as my roles have changed, it's put me in a different light. Of course, in the group that I'm in now, I don't see that really at all. Um, I think that's because we're a very forward thinking, forward leaning group. And so a lot of that is on the table. It's talked about. And the military has done a really good job of opening a lot, you know, all the fields up to women, right? You're seeing women that are rangers. You're seeing women that are doing things that that they were not allowed to do, you know, for the entirety of the Army's history. And so, you know, things are changing for the better, I think. And that's great to hear as well. I mean, us as normal civilians, we don't know what really goes on behind closed doors. And so I love that you're able to share that with us. Um, there is there is actually something I just thought of is uh, other females in the army, right? Because it's been so cutthroat, because it's been so tough for women, other women tend to not support each other, right? And that is definitely something that I have seen um, forever for my entire career. And, and it stuck out to me because I went to a leadership school recently and I had this other female soldier say, wow, I've never had another female soldier superior to me or otherwise that was super helpful. Like actually cared about me. I cared about whether I was getting this or whether I was, you know, whatever. And that, that really stuck out to me because I thought, you know what? Yeah, you're right. We women in general, we tend to tear tear each other down. Uh, I I remember you just had a podcast recently where somebody was talking about that and I went, yes, yes, that's exactly right. And it's so frustrating because, you know, we really should be here for each other. And, and like, I have two girls, right. And so what we try to work on is jealousy, right? Jealousy. This, you know, jealousy is totally normal feeling it happens but what 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 we do what i do is i channel that jealousy into good for them good for them that's i'm so happy for them i would love that for myself but man am i happy for them sometimes it can be a tough pill to swallow but to be honest with you changing that viewpoint has made a world of difference to me i can tell you there have been times where i've had women absolutely try to destroy me and i don't get it right? You know, they gang up, they whatever. And it seems to me like anytime I am on the up and up, like every time I write in time that I'm heading upward, uh, that's when people try to tear you down, you know, and, and it's sad to see that it's, it's other women that, that do that a lot. Um, so that absolutely has been an issue. It, you know, the, the, the band of brothers, band of sisters, kind of, I never had that experience. Unfortunately, I wish I did. I'd love to create that for others though. <laughs> be the change, right? Right. And that's so fascinating that, you know, you bring that to light. And that's the main reason and the main intention of my podcast is to meet these amazing women and 
you know, congratulate them and recognize them for all the hard work they've done, how beautiful they are, how kind they are, and, you know, highlight all the good they've done in their lives. I mean, I don't understand why women would go against each other when we're all trying to build something great, right? Absolutely. So that's so crazy to me, but I'm so glad that you shared that. That's so fascinating. So another topic that's very common with military that I want to just ask you briefly about is PTSD. Um, You mentioned that you went on two, three tours. Um, So did you suffer, do you suffer from PTSD at all from any of those experiences? So PTSD is a bit of a touchy subject. Um, You know, I... (sighs) I was a a truck driver for the first deployment and uh, I was mostly admin for the second deployment, but I traveled from base to base um, and we've had some things happen. Uh, We did have loss of life. Um, It's, these are things that I have had more, it's hard to say. I'd say mostly no anymore. I I have had a couple of instances like when I fly, um, totally crazy. Sometimes you can't help it, you know, have a little panic attack on, okay, I don't know the pilot. I don't know who these people are. I need to keep my eye on all the exits. And like, at one point I remember um, I was flying somewhere and this was when I was back home uh, that I, I, my head went down the route of, I need to learn how to fly a plane just in case something happens. It's not like, come on, Katie. I mean, it would be cool. I'd love to learn how to fly a plane, but, but, uh, but I, I'm the type of person I, I really do. I haven't had any like so significant events that have struck me to my core. Um, I have memories of significant events, but I have, I'm a type of person that I'm constantly working to make myself better and make myself more understanding. And so I've spent a lot of time focusing on um, spinning things for, for good, I guess. Uh, and that's not to say to forget about, you know, little incidents that have happened or even major incidents that have happened, but it's just so I can get through the day to day. And for the most part, I don't have any issues whatsoever, but I also, like I said, I haven't had there are people out there who have suffered absolutely tremendously. And I have, I have friends and I have family who have had both and who do suffer from PTSD in various ways. Um, It's, it can be, it can be really, really difficult to deal with. And my heart goes out to every single person. It's not just in the military though. Right. I mean, my girls are suffering from PTSD from the situation that they were in, you know? And I think it's, it's, do what you can to help your mind and relieve yourself of that pressure. So that way you can look at it and you can observe that event in your mind without it crippling, you know, um, that's been my experience. I'm not saying that's, that's other people's experiences because it's definitely not something to be taken lightly. There are things like the traumatic brain injuries that go along with it that make life even more difficult in, in terms of PTSD, Um, so yeah, it's, thank goodness I have not had to, uh, suffer. Um, but I do, I do know people who have, and and I, I feel for them. And I do love your outlook on that. And I think it's so good to try and, you know, bring some positivity, 
positivity to it um, because it's such a dark subject and really challenging for a lot of people. Um, So I want to switch gears and talk about something a little bit more positive now. Um, So you were Time Magazine's Person of the Year twice, once in in 2003 and then again in 2006. So tell us about this experience. What doors did this open for you? So I'm surprised that I'm not a household name. No, I I love using this because it really leads out to me the people who can, you know, laugh and the people who are like, whatever, that's not true. You know, 2003, Time Magazine's person of the year was the soldier, the American soldier, which I am. (laughs) And then in 2006, Time Magazine's person of the year was you. So guess what, Elle? You are also Time Magazine. Person of the Year winner, 2006. Congratulations. (laughs) Welcome to the fold. No, I I found that and I started using that on resumes and and stuff just because I thought this is fun. That's that's my humor, right? Like that's, I find lots of humor and stuff like that. And so of course I, I started putting on there. I love it. I love it when people ask me about it, right? I'm like, I'm just dying for someone to be like, uh, what is this? I usually do my research before my interviews. Uh, like, I look up 2003 and 2006 Time Magazine and see what article they wrote about her. I'm like, no, she'll explain it to us. That's great. I, I absolutely love it when people ask me about it because one of two things that happen. One is that that just like this, so like you're going, okay, well, we'll just hear what she has to say about it. The other one is you would look it up and be like, what is she playing at? You know? And, and so I just, I just, yes, it's thank you. I was so happy <laughs> to hear you ask that. <laughs> I love that so much. That's so clever. I need to start putting that on my resumes. Yeah, um, absolutely. So talking more about resumes and job interviews, mm-hmm. I also read that you once wrapped vanilla ices. If you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Yes. In an interview with four <laughs> executives and an HR rep. (laughs) So you need to tell us about this and what happened here. Oh, this is great. So this was my, I think this is my second interview with them. I think I got in for an initial, I can't remember if it was my first or second. No, I think it might've been my first. Um, So, so it was, it was going for um, Tucson Electric Power. It's one of the companies that I worked for recently um, up until I adopted the girls. That's a whole nother story, but um, Basically, I went in for my initial interview and sitting there with the executives. And of course, it's they're all asking questions and I'm answering and, you know, tell us about a time when this, tell us about a time when that, you know. And uh, and finally, they said something about, you know, do you have a personal motto? And I started laughing because I thought, man, my husband and I were just talking about this. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, and of course, because it was kind of a serious but loose-ish conversation. I just is, you know, well, you know, in the great words of Vanilla Ice, I would like to think that my motto is, if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it, right? Like, and they just, they, they cracked up. Again, so for me, when when I'm interviewing for a job or, or whatever, you know, I want to make sure that the people that I'm working with are, are going to are going to be like me. Like we're going to have a vibe. We're going to be able to work well together. And, and if they don't, then this place is probably not for me. You know, I totally expect them to ask me about the time magazine person of the year or, you know, things like that. And so it's, it's time to let a little bit of the crazy come out. 
just so they can see what they're getting into. No, it was it was fantastic, and it and it it was beautiful because they all laughed, and and it helps to relieve a little bit of the tension and the boredom, and you know, because I'm sure that I'm not, I'm one of many that they saw that day, but it also made me memorable, right? I mean, I got I got the job, so. <laughs> I love that so much. You need to start a whole like coaching company where you can teach people how to really nail an interview. (laughs) Yeah. In Uh, my spare time, I'll get to that. (laughs) Uh, So I've also seen that you are a board member and committee member for the 9-11 Tower Challenge Foundation. Tell us about this program and what you do for them. Absolutely. I, this, so 9-11 Tower Challenge.org or 9-11 Tower Challenge Foundation.org. They, what they do is every 9-11, September 11th, they go and everybody climbs the same number of stairs that there were in the Twin Towers. Um, It's a memorial event. It's, it's beautiful. Um, They start out you know, we, everybody stands in the formation of the Twin Towers. It's been so cool because over the years, as it's gotten bigger and bigger, more and more people fill out the stands. And, you know, it, it's it's so cool. We have it in several locations in Arizona. And um, all of the proceeds go to first responder and military charities, uh, the 100 Club. And then every year, the 100 Club does all of the first responder charity stuff. And then um, every year we have different military charities. And so this year, it's actually the Gary Sinise Foundation is, is partnering with us. Um, and we get thousands of people all around because we'd have, we have people, in fact, uh, um, we have people overseas. We have people from all sorts of different, you know, different States. Every year that we have this, we have people reach out to us and say, I want to participate, uh, in some way. And it's, it's a really great way to, honor the sacrifice of the first responders that ran into the danger. Um, At the very beginning, they play the 911 calls. And so it's just pure, raw emotion. You're listening to everything that happened and you're remembering, right? You're remembering what happened. And the idea is that, you know, we should always remember, right? Never forget. And that's what we're doing. You know, we're we're trying to help keep it in the forefront of people's minds, because it's been 20 years this year, you know, a lot of these kids, they have no idea, you know, their memories, some of them, like my girls, they have no idea that it ever happened and they will. Um, but you know, for, for some, it lives only in the memories of their parents or, or whatever, you know? And so it's, it's definitely something that we find to be extremely important to remember. So that way it doesn't happen again. Um, but we also honor the sacrifice of all of those first responders. It's pretty cool because you'll get people in full turnout gear. So we have um, the firefighters with all of their gear on. We have um, police with bomb squad suits on uh, that they will walk the stairs and Absolutely. I mean, everyone's passing them, right? Because it's got to be just super laborious in all of that gear. And they do it. They do every step, every single step along the stairs. We line them with the first response pictures of the first responders who have been lost. Um, so that way, the idea too, is that as you pass, you look at them, you say their name, right? Cause if you say their name, then they're not going to be forgotten. Their sacrifice will not be forgotten. 
And so it's just this really amazing, beautiful event. I'm very, very proud to be part of this organization. I've been with them for the last five years. And uh, it just been, been to be part of it is, is very, very wonderful, humbling. That's so amazing and so beautiful. Um, I love that there's organizations like that out there. And that's so great that you get to be a part of that. Um, and so the last question I had for you, and you've spoken a little bit about it throughout the entire interview, was how you unexpectedly fostered and adopted two young girls who now you are their guardian and um, their mother figure. So I just want to ask, what has been your most memorable moment um, being in this mother figure role and you know, being a true role model for these girls, what have you enjoyed most about being in that role? Really, it's giving them a shot at a life that they probably would not have had otherwise. Um, I can say for me that doors have been opened. Uh, I, I have I have had lots of opportunity. Um, you know, I've 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 had a lot of people who've helped me out along the way. Always, 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 right. And I have, I, there's a couple that I thank for putting me into the military, really, because, you know, they saw me floundering when I was 16 and said, you know, I really think you should join the military. <laughs> and I thought back, you know, I, I really like that guy. That was really cool. Yeah, maybe I should do that, you know. And, and they, they kind of fostered me through that whole process myself, you know. And I think back to that and I think, gosh, you know, if I can do that for these girls, if anything, no matter how it ends or, you know, works out for them, at, at least they've gotten an opportunity that they, they would not have had otherwise. That's so wonderful. And you are just an absolute blessing to their lives. And they're so lucky to have found you and be a part of your family. So that's amazing. And I'm, I'm me myself, I don't even know you and I'm so proud of, you know, what you, what you've done with that. So that's amazing. Well, they've been a blessing to me for sure realize there's a lot more to life, you know, so it's good. Yeah. Once you're, once you're in charge of people, your life changes a little bit, I bet. A lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it. I, uh, um, you, all you parents out there, my goodness. Wow. You're amazing. All of you. <laughs> it is hard. It's hard to raise kids. So yeah. <laughs> oh, keep going parents. You got it. That's right. <laughs> So to finish it out, a fun fact about you that I do with all of my guests, um, tell me about your most memorable moment as a volunteer, whether that's with your 9-11 Tower Challenge Foundation or with any other organization you've volunteered with, what has been your greatest memory? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, they're all great, right? Anytime you do any kind of volunteering, it's at the end of the day, it's so satisfactory. Um, I would say for me, every year standing and watching the opening ceremonies for the Tower Challenge, it, I just, it's such a crazy run up and it's nuts, right? Because we have so much going on and, and I always think every year, oh, so I, how do I, how am I going to get all this done? And then the next morning happens and we have the opening ceremonies and I see all of the people that are there and we're all remembering and everything just stops for a moment. And I just think, you know, this is all worth it. This is all worth it. So it's really hard to beat that. <laughs> it's really hard to top that feeling. 
I love that. And I almost want to just look up this, this challenge and maybe make a trip out of it. Cause that sounds truly amazing to be a part of. Well, the nice part about it is actually you can do it virtually. <laughs> you can do it from anywhere. So we do, we have, we have, like I said, we have people overseas and we ship them their whole swag bag and they get a shirt and they get a, a badge and the badge has one of the um, fallen uh, first responders on it. And as a memory and um, it's fantastic. I mean, we have people posting up pictures and videos to our Facebook page. And I mean, it's, it's cool. It's really cool. So you can definitely do it from anywhere and you don't even need to go somewhere. You can find a stair stepper, you know, whatever, just, or do your own challenge, go for a long walk, go for a long run, you know, do something that, that just helps you to go, this is hard. (laughs) And this is what others did, you know, this and more. Wow. So I really encourage everyone, you know, who wants to be a part of this foundation or even find a challenge for themselves, please look into this, see what they're doing, see how you can help and see how you can change um, your community and your environment um, through this foundation. Um, So where can we find you on social media? How can we connect connect with you and where can we just find out what you're doing? Sure. I'm kind of boring with social media lately. Um, so I am mostly on LinkedIn. So if you look me up on LinkedIn, um, although I don't know how to say it on the, on, on the podcast, because my name is not that easy, <laughs> but, uh, I guess it might be in the title, right? So if you just search me on the, on LinkedIn, you'll find me. Um, and, and that's the best way, uh, definitely go to the tower challenge website, nine 11 tower challenge foundation.org. And uh, if you email them, that actually goes to me. So if you want to reach me and you don't have a LinkedIn account, you could just email me there. (laughs) I love it. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing your stories and just being so open with your life um, to us. And we're, we're so appreciative of it. And you have done some phenomenal things that you should be really proud of. And Um, Again, thank you so much for your time today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. 